7, we're going to look at the life of Stephen. Pastor Brent, we've been in a book series of the Acts series. Pastor Brent spoke on a message entitled Genius, and that was a great message. If you missed that, you can go to our Facebook page and go to that and listen on there. Or you can go to our YouTube, type in uh, Radiant Springs Church, you can listen to that there as well. Um, but the, our, the Acts Church, the church when it was be- beginning to start, they were experiencing conflict. And if you know, if there's people, there's always conflict. <laughs> so, sorry to break the news to you if you didn't know that already. Um, and especially when you're growing too, there's always going to be conflict. But conflict is not a bad thing. It's, it's usually an opportunity to grow, and that's what we saw in the church that there was uh, not all the time that we see in Acts. It doesn't always happen where they grow if they have a problem in the church. Sometimes there's, there's um, things where the church splits. But in this case in Acts, the church uh, grew. And that was because of seven men, full of the Holy Spirit, full of faith, man, uh, that was Stephen, and full of wisdom, uh, who were willing, who were already serving, who were there, and willing to be a part of the solution. And that's what it takes when you grow. It takes people who are willing to step in and be a part of the solution. And uh, Stephen played a part in the solution. Um, and that's who we're going to be looking at. And hopefully in his example, we're going to be looking at how we, he lived a spirit-empowered life. Okay. And so the question I'm going to answer here is, what resembles a spirit-empowered life? If you know... If you have your Bible, you can turn to Acts chapter 6 here, and um, I'm going to go through it here. I'm not going to read through all of it, because it's quite a bit, and we'll probably be here for about three hours if I continued on to it. But Luke, our author, he emphasizes the thing that he wants to speak to his, his audience here. He, he emphasizes the ministry of the Holy Spirit working through, in and through the believer, okay? That's the biggest thing that he, that's the theme that you're going to see through the book of Acts, okay? Some people call it the, the Acts of the Apostles, which it is. But it's Luke, our author, is, is, is looking at the work of the Holy Spirit through the believers. And Luke mentions the Spirit 55 times. Um, and he, and he basically he, what he wants us to see is that the Holy Spirit must be the source of what we do for Christ. So if we do anything for Christ, that's why we believe our, 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 our mission stay here is to lead, love, and connect people to life-changing relationship with Christ. Uh, and, and we rely heavily on the Holy Spirit to, to do that, okay? And so... Um, that's why our, our, our value is we envision people empowered by the Holy Spirit to live boldly and minister effectively for Christ. And so, in Acts 6, though, we see Stephen, the problem is that there's not a distribution. Uh, people are maybe maybe being discriminated a little bit, maybe being overlooked a little bit. Um, but there, there's a problem with distribution not giving to certain widows. Okay, And so you can imagine, is, has anybody ever been in a conflict where people are hungry um, not getting food, uh, you can imagine this conflict is probably like, I don't know if you've ever been hangry before. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not very pretty when I'm hangry. But, uh, so I imagine this was not a pretty scene, but they worked through it. Stephen was a part of this. Okay? And it was not just serving tables, but he was more so administrating, working with money. And so we see the apostles who work well um, with providing leadership, and then the body of people, the multitude, agreed upon picking the people. And the person that I want to focus on is Stephen. He's full of faith, and what that means is that uh, he's controlled, or he, he's, he's, he's really close to the Holy Spirit. Okay, he's, he, There's a close personal relationship with the Holy Spirit. And I'll go into what faith uh, looks like more, uh, a little more in depth as we go on. But he's an ordinary person, okay? He's, he's not like necessarily like the 12 apostles, okay? And we're going to look at his life, and 
hopefully, and it doesn't mean that he's got it together, but there's a dependence upon God, okay? And before we get started, let's go ahead and, and let's pray. Let's pray and ask God in to speak to us. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you that it's you, Holy Spirit, that speaks to our hearts, that leads us closer to you, Jesus, that helps us to know you, that helps us to understand you, that helps us to to bring your word, not just to be written word, but word that comes alive, that's active, that separates our inner motives and our thoughts, Lord. And we just ask, God, that you would come and speak to our hearts, Lord. Teach us what it looks like to have a spirit-empowered life and help us to apply that in our life. We need you, Holy Spirit. God, help us to turn from our old ways of living and turn back to you, Jesus, and to trust in you completely. Show us and teach us how to do that, God. And we thank you for your patience. We thank you for your grace, and we thank you for your mercy. Come and speak to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. i got to remember I can't run too far out of their camera lens because it's only a certain distance here. <laughs> but anyways, so Stephen has a close relationship with uh, with the Holy Spirit, with God, okay, and we see that clearly, okay? We see that clearly in Acts 6. He's already serving. He's been serving, okay? He's already been serving when nobody was looking at him. He wasn't living for the, like a lot of our culture, we, when we do things, or when you see a lot of the, our culture nowadays, we want to be known. <laughs> we want to be famous. We want people to see. Stephen, he, he was not that kind of individual. I'm not saying anybody here in our church. We're not like that. We're saints here. I'm just kidding. We're not perfect. <laughs> just teasing. No, we're, we're a mess too, but we thank God that God's gracious with us. I'll just speak for myself. I'm a mess and needing God's grace. Um, anyways, so Stephen was an ordinary person. He, he was serving and he believed in this Jesus thing, okay? He believed that Jesus died. He, he, he wasn't an eyewitness of this, but he believed, and he probably was one who was there. I don't know if he was necessarily there when the outpouring of the Holy Spirit happened, but we see that he, he has given his life to believing in Jesus and not just believing in his mind because what does James says? If we just believe in our mind and have faith in God, but if we don't do anything with it, the Bible says it's, dead so he believes in his mind that what what jesus has done for him on the cross and 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 he and he he believes in his resurrection but he also is serving at this point okay he's exercising his faith and that's the thing that's one of my first points here what what resembles a spirit empowered life our first foundation is is our faith if we don't have faith in jesus if we don't know what he did for us um we, we can't go anywhere without that. It's a personal relationship with Jesus. And a lot of times it's not even, uh, we're not the ones, at least for my case, my story, I didn't go out pursuing Jesus. He came pursuing me. That's what we heard in, in the goodness song that we sang this morning with Denise. It's, it's his goodness that follows you. So if you needed to hear that today, it's his goodness that is following you all the days of your life. And whether we see that or not, you'll see it. Believe me, you'll see it. And so, but our, our faith is the first step of a resembling a spirit-empowered life. And our faith is like a roller coaster. Man, there are seasons where it's like, man, I got faith and expectation for God to move. And then you go through a valley, you're going through conflict, and you're like, man, I don't feel like I got a whole lot of faith. But Jesus says, man, if you just had faith of a small of a mustard seed, I can move a mountain. Just a little amount of faith, just holding on. And, and, and God, he, he speaks to you 
And, and there are anchor points in your life where he builds your faith. But in Stephen's life, we see that he's trusted Jesus as his Lord and Savior, that he's serving faithfully, and he's submitted under leadership. He doesn't look at the apostles and say, no, I have a better idea, actually. You should listen to me. <laughs> no, he, he submitted. We see that he has values and standards he lives by, okay? And he uses, I'm kind of summing up Acts chapter 6, because uh, uh, it's a long message uh, if I just went into that as well. So I'm kind of summing that up uh, of what he did with, um, with serving and taking care of the widows. And he's a Greek-speaking Jew, okay, so he knows how to speak. God uses his gifts specifically. He uses his uh, uh, personality to speak to them, to minister to them, okay. And I just want to say something for each of you and just exhort each of you. God has a ministry for you, okay. I just want to say that. God has a ministry that he has assigned you, that he has given you, but it's going to take faith first as our foundation and not faith in just believing what Jesus did for us, but now Stephen uses his gifts to further God's kingdom. It's now, okay, what am I doing with my faith? What am I, am I standing here just coming to hear a message or am I, am I exercising that throughout the week? Am I not only spending time with Jesus, but am I showing people that I have faith? Am I showing them, am I being Christ-like? And so my question is, my application question to this is, how can we have faith? Well, in Stephen's case, it was, how can I serve God and serve others? And he wasn't waiting for someone to tell him. He was already exercising that. Because, but the reason why he was doing that is because he understood what was done for him. He understands the payment that was paid. So he was given his life. Just like the 12 apostles, the 12 disciples, they gave their life. They left everything. They left everything to come and follow him. And let me give you an illustration of kind of what faith is, looks like, okay? So uh, your condition is like that of a child in a burning house who, having escaped the edge of a window, hung on by the windowsill. The flames were pouring out of the window underneath. And the poor lad would soon be burned or falling, would be dashed to pieces. He therefore held on the clutch of death. He did not dare to relax his grasp until a strong man stood underneath and said, Boy, drop, drop, I'll catch you. Now, it was no saving faith for the boy to believe that the man was strong. That was a good help toward faith. But he might have known that and yet have perished. It was faith when the boy let go and dropped down into his big friend's arms. There you are, sinner, clinging to your sins or to your good works. The Savior cries, drop, drop into my arms. It is not doing. It is leaving off doing. It is not working. It is trusting in the work which God, Jesus has already done. Trust. Everybody say trust. Man, that's the hardest thing to do, huh? <laughs> and that's, that's a process over time. That doesn't happen overnight. But that's the word, simple, solidly, hearty, earnest trust. That's what faith is, trusting in God, and, but doing something with that trust. And like I said, sometimes you're like, man, I trust God with everything. And then you're like, man, I, I'm having a hard time trusting God. But that's why we come together. That's why we come together and to encourage one another and to, to build each other's faith. Amen? Thanks, John. Amen. Yeah. So how can, we, how can we have faith? Well, the first step is, have I accepted Jesus, or have you accepted Jesus into your life, 
into your life as your Lord and Savior. That's the first step. But like I said, the second step is what are you doing now to serve God and others? What are you doing with that faith? So let's go on and look at verse 8 of Acts chapter 6. We see here, now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, did great signs and wonders and miraculous signs among the peoples. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia. These men began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against his wisdom or by the spirit by whom he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, we have heard Stephen speak words of blasphemy against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law and they seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified, this fellow never stopped speaking against the, this holy place, the temple, and against the law. For we have heard say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place, they're talking about the temple, and change the customs, Moses, talking about the law, handed down to us. Listen to this, what happens. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen and they saw that his face was like of an angel. And so, so we see Stephen here. The, the second thing that we see in Stephen's life that I want to know is that he's full of God's grace. And I want to define grace, okay? Because grace is something that you and I, we can't earn. It's something that you can't do anything for. And, if, and this is important, especially to the text, because who Stephen is talking to is specifically Pharisees. And if you know and understand Pharisees and their belief, they have, like we said, the written law, which goes traces all the way back to Moses when he received the Ten Commandments. Okay? But they also, from their rabbis and teachings and their history, they have an oral law that they follow. They have several extra rules that make it so heavy and burdensome for anyone to be made righteous or in right standing before God. And so this is important in light of grace because we need grace. It says, the Bible says, we're, by grace we're saved, not through works. And this is important, okay, not only to be made right with God, but to do what God's called us to do. And I'll, I'll get into that. I'm kind of getting ahead of myself here. But I just want to kind of explain the audience here of who Stephen's speaking to. And this is very interesting, too. I just found this very interesting. San, he's going to get to the Sanhedrin, okay, which is where they figure out all the legal things. It's exactly where Jesus was. It's going to be the same scenario with Jesus. The only difference is Jesus didn't say anything and correct all the people who were putting him on trial and crucifying him, even though he did nothing wrong. But now they think that Stephen's going to be put on trial, but it's not Stephen that's going to be put on trial. It's going to be the Sanhedrin on trial for what they have done. Okay, and so, but what we see here is that Stephen is full of grace. And let me just define that a little bit here to help you understand here. Grace is a gift. It's a gift of God. It, and it's expressed in his actions of extending mercy, loving kindness, and salvation to people. Okay, and so God extends forgiveness to us. Me and you, we, I know I certainly don't deserve it. I know I, I deserve uh, what's coming to me, but man, he's so 
patient, so kind. And if we see that, if we get a glimpse of that and continue just to see the love in his eyes and the love that he has for us, and we experience that personally, if you know that, uh, I mean, that changes you. And so we need to be full of faith. And, and through that, w- w- uh, we need to experience God's grace. But you're saying, Pastor Andy, I can't earn it. So how, do you, how are you full of grace? Good question. Um, finally, the ne- before I get to that, I want to go over uh, this. Grace is manifested uh, in Jesus Christ and makes it possible for God uh, to cause believers to reflect his grace in, in their character and relationships. And we're going to see that in Stephen's life. He's under pressure. There, you can tell the people, the elders, the teachers of the law, there's a multitude coming against him. Has anyone ever been in a situation like that where you kind of feel lonely and, you're, man, you're getting put on blast here? And, man, that's a little intimidating. I don't know about you, but I don't know if I'd have the composure to be able to handle that. I probably would act out in anger <laughs> if they were putting me on trial for something I didn't even say. They're accusing him of things that he didn't say. And that's because they can't now argue him. But we see that he's full of grace. And so how do we see that Stephen's walking in God's grace? Well, one, he's a child of God. And God gives us grace. He gives us grace as a gift to become the right to become children of God. And that is so important because the people that he's talking to, like I said, the Pharisees, they don't believe. They didn't believe Jesus. They didn't believe what they, they said. Jesus, you're a blasphemer. You're lying. You can't be saying that. And they're saying the same thing to Stephen. And they're building up off of their lies because they can't argue him, Stephen, in this case. Okay. And so, uh, it, it, but the other people that I want to note to are the Sadducees. If you want to un- remember Pharisees and Sadducees, the Pharisees, they're like, oh, it's fair. I see. It's fair. I see how I look at, you know, if you follow these rules, then you'll be good. It's kind of a silly way to, of remembering it, but that's the way I look at it. Fair, it's fair in their eyes of how they're right with God. And then the Sadducees, well, it's sad, you see, because they don't believe in the resurrection and they don't believe in angels or the spirit. Okay, so it's kind of sad, you see. So, um, so okay, I, I'm glad I got a couple laughs out of that. I know it's kind of my dad jokes or, or Bible jokes are kind of silly, but anyways, Stephen's walking in God's grace because he's, walking as a child of God. He's reflecting, like we said, grace in his character and relationships. And man, he's keeping his composure. And how, So we can see that he's full of the Holy Spirit. He's full of faith. He's full of grace. How do we know that he's full of the Holy Spirit? Because he's exercising love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. He's exercising those things. And that, that didn't just happen in one instant, okay? I know it's like, man, if we can just have a highlight moment and God can zap me, I can, that can happen. no takes a lifetime for that to happen, at least in my life. Man, if, you got, if that happens to you, I'm going to have to have a talk with God and have him do that for me as well. But it's not always the case, okay? So grace. God gives us, extends us grace to come into relationship with him. But then he also extends an invitation to be a part of the eternal purposes or his eternal work here on earth for you and for me. Like I told you, you have a ministry that God has for you. And if they didn't figure out that problem in Acts 6, if Stephen wasn't a part of that solution, if the apostles didn't uh, figure it all out, Stephen wouldn't be here in this moment who is now performing signs and wonders and is healing people. And here, this is how I know he has faith too because he's praying for people and things are being done. Signs and miracles. Miracles are happening. Okay, we see that that's happening and people are, are... are seeing that that's happening. It's stirring up some people, okay? But just note this for a second, okay? 
the, only the, the disciples were walking in that kind of power before. Stephen, who's just an ordinary person, like you and me, it, God's grace was evident upon his life. Okay? And so Paul also, who is majorly influenced by Stephen's life, and we're going to see that, he is majorly influenced. In Romans fifteen fifteen, he says that being a minister for God is a grace, is, is an act of God's grace. So being able to participate in the ministry that God has for you or the work and the eternal purpose that God has for you is an act of his grace. Okay? Also, Paul also notes that God gives us gifts, and that's a uh, gifts of the Spirit, and that's also an act of his grace that we see. And so what do we see that's, how is Stephen also walking in God's grace? Again, because it's not just, oh man, thank you Jesus for how much you've forgiven me of. Uh, let me just go back and do live my life however I want to now. <laughs> no, it's, okay, what am I doing with that now that I'm a child of God? What, how am I stewarding this grace? Stephen, he was ministering. He was using the gifts of the Spirit. He had a gift of faith. He had a gift of wisdom and miracles. And that was an act of God's grace in his life. Okay, so, Pastor Andy, how do I get this grace that you're talking about if we can't earn it? Well, good question. That's what I was trying to figure out when I was studying, too. I was like, I don't know. I got to look here. Everybody say humility. Does anybody like humility? Anybody like to be humbled or be wrong? Or or do you like to maybe be right in your own eyes? I'll, don't raise your hand. I'll raise my hand. I always like to be right about everything, but um, humility. And let me define humility. Humility is a grateful and spontaneous awareness that life is a gift, and it is manifested as an ungrudging and unhypocritical acknowledgement of absolute dependence upon God. You're like, man, Andy, that was a huge uh, um, definition. Let me make it simple. Jesus says this in the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, who are utterly dependent upon him. Like Othelia, she's utterly dependent upon us. Like a child that is, is being nursed, that she's, they're utterly dependent upon their mom for the nutrients that they need to survive and to grow. And so humility is the heart posture in which God continually makes his grace available. I'll say that again. Humility is our heart posture in which God continually makes his grace available. And that's through living a life of faith. Man, sometimes you're like, man, I'm so expecting for God to move. And then God corrects you and you're like, oh, man, I feel like I'm just a mess up here and a, a screw up here. And God humbles you. And it's through those moments where he's building your character, where he's, he's uh, growing faith in you and maturing you. And it's in those moments that he's releasing his grace into your life. And so humility Paul says this, do nothing out of selfish ambition or in conceit, but in humility, count more other uh, count others more significant than yourself. Where did Paul get that idea from? My personal opinion is Stephen. Stephen's already serving. He's already doing what God's called him to do, and he's not waiting for somebody. Because Luke is not eyewitness of any of this. Luke doesn't come until later in Acts. So who does Luke get this information from? Probably Paul, who is actually showing up here. You'll notice one of the places is Cilicia. And then we have Paul who writes that he's from a place called Tarsus, from the city of Cilicia. So he's probably here 
arguing with Stephen. He claims that he's a Pharisee of Pharisee, has all these PhDs, all these educations. Nobody can now argue him. Okay? But Stephen, an ordinary person, can, who's full of the Holy Spirit, full of faith, full of God's grace. Why? Because Stephen's walking humbly. Because James says this, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And Peter says the same exact thing, and so does Proverbs. So it's something to learn to have a humility as the heart posture. It's more of the condition of our heart. It's not something we do. It's something that God does in you and me as we experience his grace. Did you guys catch that? It's something that he does in us and through us. It's, it's walking and living a life of humility and counting others more significant. And so my question is, how can we apply God's grace? Well, I'll just make it simple. In the Old Testament, they couldn't come before God. There was certain sacrifices that had to be made to experience God in the temple, okay? And um, they couldn't come before him. But now in the New Covenant, from the Old Covenant to New Covenant, I'm just summing it up pretty quickly here. Uh, Jesus died on the cross, okay, to save us from our sins. But he, Jesus, God didn't want his temple just to be here, like in a building, but he wanted it to be here in our hearts. Thank you, amen, yes, amen. That is what our Father and our Bridegroom, Jesus Christ, where, where he desires to dwell, right here. This is what Paul says the temple is right here. We can come before, I, I'll answer this. We can come before a holy God humbly and thankful and grateful because of what he did for us. Let me illustrate this a little bit. Paul, this is after Stephen is, is stoned. Paul is on the road to Damascus. He's stoned Stephen, okay, he's, and he's signed off on it. He thinks he's making a difference for God. He thinks he's make, living in a spirit-empowered life. Little would he know he's living a proud life, and he's about to be knocked off his high horse. But he gets the Sanhedrin's approval. He's going off and killing anyone who's a Christian who believes in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, okay? Dragging people out of their homes, and he's doing what he can to, to make sure it stops. And then, boom, knocked off his donkey on the ground. God humbles him. Do you see what I'm saying? And then that's the avenue that God releases his grace. It's not until we are in a position of humility that God extends his grace, okay, and his mercy. And, and it's, it's through that that Paul's like, oh, what did I, uh, oh, I thought I was living for God and doing the right things for God. Uh, oh, I didn't know I was go- coming against you. And Jesus makes him, he shows himself in a personal way to Paul and he shows him who he is, okay? But he doesn't just show him who he is and start a personal relationship with him, but then he gives him an assignment. Paul, you're going to go and suffer for my name's sake now. You're going to go, you have a ministry to make and advance my kingdom through your life. And that's the invitation that God has for each of us that all of us are going to give account for. At the end of our days, we're going to come to God and he's going to be like, okay, you believed in me, you accepted me as your Lord and Savior. Okay, you can enter into heaven, but what did you do with that now? That's what he's going to ask all of us. What did you do with that God's grace? And so my application question to this is, do you constantly evaluate yourself to have a heart posture of humility? That's a question I have to constantly ask myself. Am I walking in humility? Or am I walking like thinking that I'm right in my own eyes and everything that I do? And so we see Stephen 
He's, he's living a life humbly before God. And Paul, not living a life. He's living proudly. And so my question to you is, uh, after you've received God's grace, what are you doing with God's grace now? Now that you maybe, you, maybe you're saying, well, Andy, I, I, I am a child of God. But now what are you doing with that, of what he's made available to you? My next thing here is, is power. Everybody say power. Everybody say dunamis. This is the same power that God gave his disciples to walk in and to cast out demons, to heal people. Okay, But God's power can, is unlimited. It can do so many things. And, and, and in this case, it's working in uh, Stephen. Stephen, it's giving him the power to endure suffering, to keep his composure, to walk in love, kindness, goodness. I'm telling you, like gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. He's full of the Holy Spirit. He's full of faith. He's full of power. He's a power to be a witness. He's performing signs and wonders and miracles. Like I told you, who, the apostles who, who were doing, or the only ones doing it before, but he has, everybody say, power. To endure suffering. And sometimes that's a hard thing to wrap our heads around in suffering. And he has the power to endure it. Because what's about to happen to him doesn't make sense necessarily. And um, a preacher said to, well, did God answer Stephen's life and save him? Think about that question. We'll get to that. We'll get to how he answered him. I just wanted that to be on your, on your mind, though, when we're thinking about Did God save Stephen? If he allowed the stoning to happen. Let's think about that for a little bit. But anyways, without the spirit of God, we can do nothing. It's like this. Charles Spurgeon says this. We are ships without wind, branches without sap, and coals without fire. We are useless without God's power at work in, in us and through us. Okay? And let me give you an illustration here. A young missionary, Herbert Jackson, was given a car to help him in his work. The car was a major asset, but it had one difficulty. It would not start without a push or a jump start. Anybody ever been there? <laughs> Jackson devised a system to cope with the car's inability to start. When he was ready to leave his home, he went to a nearby school and asked permission to bring some of the children out of class to help him push, uh, start his car. Throughout the day, he was careful to always park on a hill or to leave his engine running when he stopped for short visits. For two years, the young missionary used what he believed was an ingenious method to enable him to use the car. When the poor health forced the Jackson family to leave the field, a new missionary arrived to lead the mission. When Jackson explained to the new missionary his methods for starting the car, he probably was like, man, I'm so proud. Yeah, look at this. The young man opened and the hood and began expecting. And then he, and he asked, why, Dr. Jackson? He interrupted, I believe the only trouble is this loose cable. <laughs> Gave the cable a twist, pushed the switch, the engine roared to life. For two years, Dr. Jackson had used his own devices and endured needless trouble. The power to start the car was there all the time. It only needed to be connected. That's why we believe what we believe here at Radiant Springs Church. It's, we want to lead, love, and connect people to a life-changing relationship with Christ because it's, it's like what Luke says. It's how we do things, but it's how we can experience God's power. Amen? So my question to you is, how can you walk in God's power? Or how are you walking in God's power? Is this good so far? Yeah? Amen? All right, the next thing here, I'm going to kind of summarize this here because I'm not going to be able to go through his whole message here. It's tons. Uh, I'm going to kind of summarize it, though. But the next thing that we see is the next part, uh, um, and... 
Stephen's spirit-empowered life is wisdom. There are people there, and Paul, who would claim to this, who are trying to argue him, out-argue him, and they can't. They, and that's why, because God gives Stephen a spirit of wisdom. So in other words, Stephen's full of the Holy Spirit. He gives, and, and his opponents are unable to overcome him in a theological debate. They can't out-argue him, even though Paul, being one of them, is an expert of experts and knows so many things, but he can't argue him, which is just crazy. But God says it like this, even when man's in their greatest in their greatest uh, reasoning and their greatest strength or understanding, even when God's in his weakest, that still doesn't even compare. Um, and so his opponents, what did they do? They resorted to deceit and slander. Okay, And so what did they say? They spoke against the law and the temple. That's what they were saying, that... Uh, that Stephen was doing. He was blaspheming the law and the temple. We don't know exactly what he's talking about or what he's necessarily talking about except for uh, probably preaching about Jesus Christ. I mean, he could have said that Jesus would tear down the temple, but Jesus was talking about his, his body, giving his life and dying on the cross. Okay, And just so you know the, the um, culture there, it's a capital crime. You can get in a, a zap chair, felony, first degree felony for speaking against the temple. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, Paul's, Paul's there. He's, he's out arguing. He's out arguing, Stephen, and he's in agreement with all this. And he takes him before the Sanhedrin, and it's a capital crime to speak any, uh, wrongly against the temple. And I'm like, wow, man, I wonder how they had that kind of um, insight, okay? And so Stephen, though, he is walking in God's wisdom, and we see that because he has even more understanding uh, in, in the scripture, in the, in the message that he's about to preach. And in, Paul says in Colossians, in Jesus Christ are hidden the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And we see in Stephen's message, he's, he's speaking to, like I told you, the Pharisees who want to add to the law, and Sadducees who don't believe in the resurrection, uh, don't believe in angels or the spirit, and so Stephen is speaking to them specifically, and he said, God, the God of glory, revealed himself to Abraham. And this is where you came from, okay? This is where all of Israel came from. Not from someone who was holy, someone who was righteous because of following all the rules. And because the Pharisees would say, well, we're children of Abraham. And, uh, and, the, and the Sadducees, if they uh, talked about the resurrection, well, they would... They would um, put someone on trial for that. And you can see that in, in Stephen's life and, and in Saul's life. But we see here, Abraham's dad was Terah, okay? And he was believed to be an idol maker. In Joshua 24, verse 2, would actually talk about Abraham has a family who worshiped other gods and made a covenant. And, but God still made a covenant with Abraham. Again, it's an act of God's grace. And how did, was God going to fulfill that covenant? Well, he told Abraham that he's going to make this covenant. But the, the, thing that he, the way that he had to fulfill this covenant is somebody had to walk through this little path when he was speaking to Abraham. And so Abraham was asleep, though. So who walked through, the, through this little path to, to confirm the covenant? Holy Spirit, God's Spirit. Because he was the one that was going to fulfill this covenant. It was him that was going to accomplish this. And so Stephen, in, summed up in his message, is saying that Israel, including them, have reje- just like they rejected Joseph. You remember the story of Joseph where the brothers 
reject his own. That's exactly what happens to Jesus. His own kin, his own family reject him. They don't accept him as a deliverer. What does Joseph do? Well, he saves all of Egypt, all the Gentile nation, he's, and his, his family, okay? And same thing with Moses. That's the same thing ex- exactly happened with Moses. They reject Moses, don't accept him as a deliverer. God still uses him. And so, um, and you can see after that, Israel after God is claiming his people, Israel constantly, it's Israel's apostasy that happens in, in Stephen's message. And he's having this, this understanding and this wisdom. And like I told you, he's, Stephen's not on trial. It looks like that, but the Sanhedrin's on trial for, for what they've done. And so Israel would turn away from God constantly. You can read it through Kings and, and Second Kings and Chronicles and Judges. And, and you can read it through all the books of the prophets where they come to God. Turn, to God, turn away from God, and then God's like, okay, I'm going to give you over to what you want to worship, and so if that's, that's some other God, then that's why they were taken into captivity. And then God sent his prophets, the messengers, to, to, to give them hope, to turn them back to him, and what did they do to all of them? They rejected all of them, killed all of them. And what did they do to Christ? Same thing, rejected him. And so what's Stephen's, what, what, what's Stephen's point in all of this? Well, you either... Become like Christ or reject the Holy Spirit. And like I told you, some of us kind of can fall into the three of these categories. We can be the person like Stephen who's living a spirit-empowered life. Or we can be like a Pharisee who thinks that, man, it's by what I do that makes me right. But it's not that. It's through Jesus. Or maybe we don't even believe that Jesus died on the cross, that he was resurrected. Maybe we're, we're wrestling just with unbelief. Maybe we're doubting what God has done for us. Those are the two people that we see in the scripture here. And Stephen, his life is taken in this moment. After he, he, he corrects them, man, he, he says, you stiff-necked people. Man. Um, the Bible says, he, he says, you are just like your father, or, you stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears. You are just like your fathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your fathers did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You have you who have received the law and have put it into effect through angels, but have not obeyed it. Man, that probably did not settle right with the with his hearers. And just so you know, in order for the Sanhedrin to kill Stephen, if you remember back to Jesus' um, ministry, um, they took him to Rome because Rome had to give them the authority to kill somebody, to crucify somebody. And uh, Denise, if you can come up at this time. Um, and Matthew. Um, but in this case, they were so angry. They were gnashing and grinding their teeth but listen to this, Stephen, in the midst of all this, full of the Holy Spirit. And we know that because of how he's responding. Man, if I was accused of that, I probably would have punched a dude in the face. Uh, good. I don't know. That's probably what I would have done. It probably wouldn't have been the right thing, but um, I would have been frustrated. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. What is that showing us? Well, it shows that Jesus died. He lived a humble life. He gave his life. He came in the form of a baby. He counted himself nothing. He gave everything 
So that way we could have faith in Him. So that way we could receive this gift of grace. So that way we can walk a Spirit-empowered life and walk in His power and the wisdom that He has for us if we would just ask. So that way we can become more like Christ or His children, which is our inheritance and our right to all those who believed. Or their other alternative is rejecting what the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart. He sees that Jesus is on the throne right next to God the Father, right hand of God. And Jesus, I believe, shows Stephen this as his reward, but he also stands up there as a judge, judging the Sanhedrin who's speaking against wrongly against Stephen. And at the, Stephen shared this, shared this with them. And at this, they covered their ears. They yelled at the top of their voices and all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Stephen's life, message, and death spoke in ways that could not be ignored by those who attacked him. Saul of Tarsus would be the man who would be here standing over him and being stoned. It's not a quick death. Rocks thrown on you. Stephen responds like this. Lord, receive my spirit and forgive them. That preacher said, did God answer Stephen's prayer? He did. He helped him to have faith in him. He helped give him his grace. He helped him give him power to endure the suffering. And he gave him wisdom of how to answer people who are clearly smarter than him, but not with the Holy Spirit. But he, he also did this. He answered him by giving them ability to forgive his enemies. Can we say the same for ourselves? Can we forgive those that have hurt us? That's what a spirit-empowered life looks like. And this would speak to Paul, I guarantee, for the rest of his life. And I can see that clearly. And if you go and read all of his letters to the churches, his life is moved by this one man who decided, I'll live a spirit-empowered life. I'll live a life full of faith, grace, power, and wisdom. Will you? With your heads bowed, eyes closed, you're here or you're watching online. You've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You've never heard that he came to die on the cross to to take all of the world's sin into one cup and drink it and, and partake of it and pay the price for your sin and for my sin for all eternity. If you've never heard that, that you don't have to pay that when we come to the end of our days, you don't have to make that payment. Because Jesus took that upon himself. He took that weight. He took that burden. If you're here today, or if you're watching online, wherever you're at, the Holy Spirit's speaking to you, and He's asking you, and He's inviting you. He's knocking at your door, and He wants to come in and be a part of your life. If you want to invite Him in as your Lord and Savior, I want you to pray this prayer after me. And I, and I want, uh, as an encouragement, as everyone that's taken this step, I want everybody just to, to pray this prayer, whether it's the first time or not. It doesn't matter. But if God's speaking to you, repeat this prayer after me, saying, Dear God, Please forgive me of my sins. Thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross to save me from my sins. Please forgive me of my sins and help me to follow you as my Lord and my Savior for all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen.
Amen. If you prayed that, it's not about what I prayed and you, it's about you meaning it with your whole heart. If you did that for the first time or second time, man, when I, when I was barely coming to the Lord, I, I prayed that prayer several times and I, I, I didn't know what I was doing, but I was just giving my heart to God. That's all he's looking for. A life of faith, a life of trusting in him. Maybe some of you are saying, Pastor Andy, I'm wrestling with my faith today. I, I don't have, I'm not full of faith because of the certain circumstances that I've been going through. Maybe you just need some encouragement today and maybe the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. Or, or maybe he's speaking to you on one of these other things of, of, of teaching you how, of how he's extending your grace in your life. Or maybe he's, he's correcting you and maybe he wants you to walk in humility. I know that's me a lot of times. Or maybe he, he's wanting you to show, to show you his power. And how it's at work in your life and through your life. Sometimes it's miracles. Sometimes it's heart transformation. Sometimes it's a, it's a renewed mind. That's how God's power works sometimes too. And sometimes maybe it's wisdom. Maybe you're in a current situation and you don't have an answer. I'm in a current situation with some family. We don't have an answer. But we do have the answer. And his name's Jesus. And he's going to give us the wisdom even if it doesn't make sense in our natural eyes. So as we close, I want to pray and then we'll enter into a time of worship. God, I thank you for this day. I thank you that you love us. I thank you that you are pleased with us, that you are yearning to spend time with us. God, would you teach us how it is to walk in a spirit-empowered life, full of faith, full of grace, full of power, and full of wisdom, Lord. If we're wrestling with our faith today, would you come and speak to us, come and encourage us, Holy Spirit. The Bible says you are our comforter, Holy Spirit. And I thank you that that is what you are and that is who you are lord would you come and speak to us encourage us challenge us train us teach us how to walk in right standing with you jesus just as you said your word will do and your holy spirit who will help us to do it Lord, would you speak to us in jesus name amen would you go ahead and stand at this point and